0: Welcome to Culture Lab. I'm Christy Taylor.
1: And I'm Timothy Revel. This is the show all about how science plays out in our cultural creations. Sometimes we interview the world's most exciting authors about fascinating books. Other times we delve into the science of a movie or TV show.
0: And this week is all about TV. Get your popcorn, find the spreadsheet with all your streaming passwords. We're going to tell you about our favorite science television of the year. What we think is the best. But you don't have to take me and Tim's word for it. We brought in our biggest in-house expert on all things TV, television columnist Beth Ann Ackerley. Hey, Beth. Hey. All right. So you're a television columnist. What does your day involve? I'm assuming <laughs> you're not just putting your feet up and watching TV all day long. I mean, that, that's a that's a big part of it. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, a lot of it is just
2: researching what's coming out and um, what I think is going to be the most sort of exciting thing for new scientist readers in particular yeah, so I, I find out options, I, I obviously watch the TV show, I hunt hunt down screeners for the TV show, and um, I try to think about it in a context of where it falls in the history of television, like the shows that have come before it that might have influenced it, um, and what it's, often what it's based on, because we have a lot of TV shows these days that are based on, you know, books or franchises that already exist, and yeah, just trying to trying to say something coherent and hopefully entertaining about those.
1: We'll move on to a second you've brought a list of some of the best TV from this year. Before we get to that I just want to ask you coming from this science-y perspective how important is it for you that the science is accurate. I know there's a whole group of people who like they make their living from tearing apart the science in dodgy sci-fi or uh, more the sort of superhero side of uh, sci-fi. How important is it for you for the science to be representative, realistic or in any way plausible? <laughs>
2: Oh yeah like I'm I'm definitely more on the side of let the art live and do what it needs to do to right. to further the story I don't I I am really impressed when a show like does the work and tries to make sure that the stuff it's depicting is pretty accurate like um the examples I would always think of are shows like the expanse which is a awesome and b it does a pretty good job uh, from what I understand of of keeping things pretty accurate within a sort of dramatic license like um there are things like how the how the ships accelerate and decelerate uh, in The Expanse is really interesting. I think another another person who's quite good at this across multiple shows is um, Ronald D. Moore. So he does hmm. uh, in Battlestar Galactica and in For All Mankind, which is uh, currently still airing. He plays with our sort of expectations and the sort of uh, myths that we have about how people can survive in space um, and how long, you know, we have this idea that the minute you went into space without a like a spacesuit on, your head would explode and you would die. And that isn't true. It would be awful and you wouldn't be able to survive very long. But there are, you know, you could survive for a limited period of time. And he, that comes up in, in several of his shows. So, as I say, yeah, like, I, I do really respect it when people do it, but it's not the be all and end all for me.
0: Well, I feel like one of the biggest sciencey spin off or, or shows that I've seen the most, like the science of explainers this year, has been The Last of Us. And, mm. you know, we've all learned so much about fungus as a result. Yeah. How does that rate on your list? I loved The Last of Us. I thought it was fantastic, and as you say, the the, the effort
2: that they went to to provide a basically plausible explanation for why this fungus, which it, so it's based on a on a fungus that can't survive in humans and has these sort of kind of mind controlling effects, a cordyceps fungus, and it can't presently survive in humans because of the temperature of our bodies is too high. So the show sort of provides a kind of quasi plausible explanation that. The fungus in question would be incentivized to sort of adapt to warmer temperatures because of climate change, which I think is really interesting. I don't, I can't speak to like the pinpoint accuracy of that, but it's certainly uh, a really interesting concept to play with, and that helps ground the show. And then once you've established all that stuff, you can just focus on the story. And um, I was lucky enough to speak to a fungal pathogen expert about The Last of Us, uh, Matt Fisher, at Imperial College London, and and he spoke at great length about how The Last of Us has. Uh, Done. It's fungal pandemic, and um, yeah, it was really interesting talking to him about it.
1: Yeah, it, it the show opens right with a scientist sort of forewarning that this might be possible, and it gives it that sort of sense of rigor that maybe this is scientifically accurate. When yeah. you spoke to this fungal expert, was that his feeling about it too? That there was some accuracy in this, or should we not worry about funguses too much?
2: He so he he had basically. I won't say he took it one hundred percent as read that 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 was a, a really plausible <laughs> idea, but like the the kind of fundamental idea of fungi like adapting in terms of the temperatures they can survive in, you know that that makes sense. And obviously our brains are a lot more complex uh, than the things that the cordyceps fungi are infecting at the moment. So like it, it requires several leaps, but you know those those leaps are grounded in a in a and an idea that is sound.
0: I want to say I've been hesitant to take this one up because I loved Station Eleven a couple of years back so much, and it also looked like it could be very stressful, as many zombie adjacent shows tend to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, what was your read on the the actual storytelling? You know, where the show actually takes us with this scientific premise?
2: First of all, to say that Station Eleven is a really, really good show as well. Like, it's in a very different kind of tone and take on that sort of thing, but. Yeah, I think I think the story of Joel and Ellie, the two main characters of The Last of Us, is really solid, and it's quite a simple one in a lot of ways. It's kind of a classic. It's a sort of odyssey across the United States. They're they're faced with threats. Their relationship builds into this quasi father daughter relationship. In many ways, it's quite a classic story, even though it's got obviously got this kind of zombie element to it going on. And I think it the TV show did a really good job of adapting the game and what was good about the game, while also adding in kind of extra details that don't exist in the game. Um, like there are, there are a couple of characters whose relationship um, gets massively fleshed out uh, in one of the episodes. And, and I think it builds, it shows that it has a right to exist, um, that it does offer something in addition to the game. It's not just a rehashing of the game, you know. All
1: right. So that's The Last of Us. What else is on your list of great TV from 2023?
2: Well, um, so one of my favorite shows of the year was a show called Best Interests, which is um, so it's a BBC show. It's a a, uh, four part drama and it's about a teenager called Marnie, who has a quite severe form of muscular dystrophy and her family. So uh, her family are played by Sharon Horgan and Michael Sheen. Those are her parents. And then it's also about her sister, Katie. And as Marnie's health kind of worsens, they are sort of forced to begin thinking about whether it's time for them to sort of withdraw care from Marnie and for her to be sort of allowed to die peacefully. It is obviously a very sad show, but it is also very funny and sweet. And it's written with sort of great nuance by uh, Jack Thorne, who is a um, disability activist himself. So there are no there are no villains in the story there are you know no one there is no easy scapegoat for this is the right way of thinking about this and this is the wrong way of thinking about this it's all very nuanced and it's a really interesting take on how disabled people are treated in the uk at the minute in particular in light of the pandemic and how when health systems are stretched who gets deprioritized And invariably, that tends to be, you know, vulnerable people. So it does a lot in a very short space of time. And it's a very interesting drama about medical ethics and features just some really amazing, amazing performances.
0: It really does feel like there's so many more conversations about those ethics in the wake of sort of the way the pandemic drew, I think, disparities into light and maybe Mm -hmm. the under-resourcing of health systems both in the UK and the US, there was another show on your list, Dead Ringers, which is a different kind of medical ethics. What was so compelling there? Totally, yeah. I mean, it you could not get two shows that are more different tonally.
2: <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Dead Ringers is um, a sort of loose adaptation of the, of the David Cronenberg film Dead Ringers um, from the late 80s. In that film, Jeremy Irons plays identical twin gynecologists called uh, Beverly and Elliot Mantle. Uh, and they sort of seduce women and they swap identities and they get embroiled in this identity crisis by the end of the film. And in this TV adaptation, the twins are played by Rachel Weiss instead. And there is still that kind of identity crisis at the heart of it. But it's also much more cerebral. It's, it's about misogyny and re- reproductive health and the dangers of giving birth, particularly for people of colour and other vulnerable communities, where in lots of different healthcare settings where people's pain and distress are, are often kind of downplayed or completely ignored. And it sort of focuses on how technology could really revolutionise uh, reproductive health and make a lot of people's lives better, but it could also make a lot of people's lives worse, depending on how access to that technology is given out. Like it, it It's really interesting the approach it takes towards how the wealthy in society could use technologies that ought to be sort of revolutionary and liberating and create further inequality with them and it's only a six part series and it's completely wild and <laughs> it's definitely not for the faint of heart there is a lot of blood uh, at points and yeah it's it's a it's a twisty complicated series and it packs so much in but I really recommend it it, I, it might be my favorite show of the year so far
1: when I first read about it, I was like, I'm definitely going to watch this. This sounds exactly up my alley. And then the review got to the bit that you mentioned just at the end of your summary there, where it's very gruesome in parts. And I'm very squeamish. So for someone who's quite squeamish, but can, I can watch horror films, but if if it becomes a bit too plausible, it's when I have to go and lie down and have a cold compress patted on the top of my head. (laughs) Is this a show that I can watch or am I better off just reading about it and enjoying other people's thoughts on it?
2: I think it's a show that even if you are a bit squeamish, it's quite important to watch. Because when I say it's quite bloody, what I mean mm. is it's that, that blood is coming through scenes of birth. And it is mm. part of the reason for showing all of that and showing what a what a quite violent process it can be for the, for the people who are, are going through it is that it, this is a really dangerous thing for anyone to do, is to give birth. And I think making us actually see birth as it really is and not the kind of sanitised version that you see in a lot of dramas is quite important. So yeah, I found it quite full on at a lot of points, but it it's not exaggerating anything. It is just the reality of birth and it's it's so unusual to see it. And I think we do have a specifically connected reaction to it being birth rather than any sort of act of violence. It feels almost harder to look at. Because we see violence on TV all the time, but we don't see people giving birth in a way that is realistic. So yeah, so I think if you can push through, <laughs> Tim, I mean, don't <laughs> faint or anything, but uh, yeah, like if you can, if you can give it a go, I would really recommend it. I think it, I think it's worth your time.
1: Yeah, this push sounds through. like exactly the sort of thing that is going to make me a bit queasy, but at the same <laughs> time, it feels like here there's a real good reason to push through that rather yeah. than just the shock factor.
0: Like, yeah, it's not actually... gratuitous. It's absolutely not. Yeah. Let's get a palate cleanser in. Um, what about like on the documentary front? Do we have anything that that can sort of help us reset after maybe a, a gruesome birth scene? <laughs> sure. Absolutely. There, there have been uh, loads of good documentary series out this year
2: and two that really stood out for me. So the first was a show called Wild Isles, which is a BBC documentary with David Attenborough. It's on Amazon Prime in the US, I believe. So it's a five-part documentary about the kind of flora and fauna of the UK and Ireland. And it's just, it's so beautiful. It's so beautifully made. So most of the episodes, they focus on like a different environment. So you've got oceans, freshwater, grasslands, woodlands. So not only do you see the things that are living in these environments, you're also seeing what threats they face. And there are so many different plants and animals uh, in, in the UK and Ireland that I had no idea about that I learned about through this documentary. And the footage itself is just gorgeous. So like the I think the first episode of the show opens with this sort of sequence of Orca up in Shetland hunting seals and it is so dramatic and so terrifying you can really place yourself in the moment. And every episode like is like that. Like it's just wall to wall, amazing footage. So even if you're not in the UK, I think there is it's such a well-made show that I think you you will really get something out of it.
1: One of the scenes from that that really sticks with me is the one where the baby toads get eaten by the leeches. you remember <laughs> oh that God, one? Oh, God, I'd
2: forgotten about it, that.
1: It was, it's like something from Nightmares. I could not believe that this happens in the UK. Absolutely crazy. <laughs> My jaw's like... on
0: the floor right now, and I... <laughs> You know, when I said palate cleanser, I don't know that leeches were part of uh, what I was envisioning.
1: I have got another scene that I'll describe okay. that is maybe, I don't know whether palate cleanser is the right word, but it's more <laughs> in the beautiful category. But this one is like, it's these little toads, they all get born in a pond and then they've got to, most. they live most of their lives in a forest. So they've got to hop across this little bit by the side of the, of the pond before they get to the forest. And then out of nowhere, you know, dramatic music starts playing and these black long, Blobs and they're jet black. They're so dark that they look like sort of monsters from a almost like a kid's TV show. They're sort of that one color and they slide towards these tiny little toads and then they can grab them from either end, (laughs) either end of the leech, and then they suck them in whole. And it is gruesome. It is quite something. I think Attenborough calls it the killing zone when he describes it. And obviously, like many more of the toads make it past than uh, get caught by the leeches. But it's really like, what a way to start. Hello, world. Oh, no. Got to go past (laughs) the killing zone.
0: I mean, that's so much of nature, though, right? This is why so many species invest in quantity over quality when they reproduce, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. You've got to make it to the forest, but then it's a little <laughs> bit nicer after that. But the one that really stuck with me is like, isn't nature strange? Was the, the when the slugs have intercourse. Do you remember yes. this one, Beth? <laughs> I think yes, this is, this is like, yeah. I don't know whether intercourse is the right word here. It's very... Like I have seen it going around on um, like little clips of this going around on social media because it's like even I think if you've I've not seen, seen the too. whole show, you've seen this one the way because they're hermaphrodites, the like slugs. And so they have both reproductive parts and then they, they meet on top of a branch quite high up in a tree, if I remember correctly. And then they're very long penises as long as they're whole bodies and they're blue appear and they dangle them underneath the branches and then they intertwine together and then they pass sperm packages to each other before then going their separate ways. But it's like in the darkness of night and they're almost luminescent. It's like almost like a lava lamp, but it's slug penises. It's like it's really quite something.
0: What do we have for music playing during this? I'm I'm just picturing something very dramatic and and romantic and overwrought, like Tchaikovsky or something like that. As I recall, it's quite it is quite sort of
1: is uh, it slap bass?
0: Oh, oh I wish, yeah, the,
2: the
1: kind of
0: Seinfeld
2: theme I get <laughs> yeah. um No, yeah, it, it it has got a beautiful score. That's a wonderful way of bringing that up. Um, but yeah, it, it it's quite the scene. I I I defy you to find any other show where you can see something as weird and beautiful as those slugs having sex. There's nothing like it has aired (laughs) this year, I don't think.
1: So you mentioned two nature shows Mm. or two documentaries. What was the other one?
2: So the second one um, is a really science focused show. It's called Earth. It's another BBC five parter. Uh, And this time it's presented by uh, Chris Packham, um, who you may know. And it's it's sort of the story of our planet over the you know more than four billion years that it's existed, told through kind of key moments in its life. So things like the development of the atmosphere and you know the rise of humans and the the end Permian extinction, which was like the most intense extinction event that we know to have ever happened. And it's it's just really full of new science and ideas. And and what I liked about it is that it shows you what the evidence is for the things that we think it's not just telling you oh this is what we believe to have happened it's showing you this is why we think that this has happened and it it's not afraid to say well this is the prevailing idea but you know some other people they they have a dissenting view it's really made with that kind of scientific process as part of the structure of the show which i really liked yeah so there's like there's one really good moment uh, from i think from the first episode where so Chris Packham's talking to us and he's he's showing you some fossilised pollen from the time of the end Permian extinction and he's showing you why that why that shows that uh, UV radiation may have had a role in the kind of extent of the destruction in that event. And I just can't think of another TV show recently that has done such a good job of like explaining the steps like that without it feeling, you know, you're not overwhelmed
0: with information, you're just sort of presented with it and, it, and it's really, really interesting. What else is on your list for, let's maybe go back into the more fantastical side of things, away f- away from real life. What else would you recommend we take a look at?
2: So one of the shows that I have really grown to love um, is Foundation on Apple TV. It's the um, adaptation of Isaac Asimov's books. I will say that I am a little biased because I love Jared Harris, another The Expanse Mm -hmm. actor who is the best also mad men (laughs) oh my god mad men the terror what what a guy love love the guy um so yeah so i'll watch anything with him in it but yeah i think i've over the course of the sort of two seasons that it's been on now i have really grown to love it like and i haven't read the book so i can't tell you how well it adapts from those books but my understanding is that the books are very sort of cerebral very ideas heavy and they've had to do some work to kind of you know make them more TV friendly to, to get more of a sense of action throughout. Yeah, And I think it's done a decent, decent job of that. And it has been a bit of a slow burn. Like, you know, it's a lot of characters and you have to grow to love them. But yeah, I really have done. And, and now it, it contains, alongside all the fantastic visuals and everything and the ideas, it contains some of my favourite characters in any show currently airing. So I really recommend that you guys check it out.
1: And of course, one of the best bits is it's about a mathematician.
2: <laughs> of course tim tim why didn't i think of that <laughs> so for anyone who doesn't know essentially it's the story of a kind of galactic empire uh ruled by three clones who are sort of decanted at different ages so there's a, a younger one a sort of middle-aged one and an older one of the original emperor so a gallant mathematician as tim points out um <laughs> has uh, has figured out um through this sort of field of psychohistory which is a sort of combination of kind of maths and sociology um, to sort of predict the behavior of very large groups of people he has figured out that the the empire will fall at some time soon and he is attempting to create another civilization called the foundation to try and lessen the sort of period of chaos after that collapse inevitably happens and yeah and some of the implications of that idea are explored really really interestingly and as I say yeah like they've they've had to build in some sort of more kind of more action sequences. But yeah, they do, from not having read the books, as far as I know, they've done, a, they've done a really good job of adapting it.
1: All right, before we move on to some things that you're looking forward to, is there anything else on your list of like best things for 2023? Perhaps a little quickfire, a few things we haven't mentioned yet.
2: I would like to just give a sort of like a little tiny shout-out to um, Swarm, uh, which is an Amazon Prime show. It's not the most science-y show on this list, but it's to do with internet culture in the sense that um, it's the story of a sort of obsessed fan of a kind of Beyonce-like figure. I mean, the title is Swarm. Obviously, Beyonce's fans refer to themselves as the as the, the Bayhive or the Beehive. I'm never sure. I've only ever seen it, seen it written down. Yeah. So it's a kind of satire of that internet stan culture as you sort of follow this girl in her obsession as she sort of grows more and more violent and, and her her inability to deal with people who do not Love her idol in the same way that she does, and I, yeah, I think it—it's not a perfect show. It's not. Um, it has been a little divisive. It may not be everyone's cup of tea, but I think the the central performance by uh, Dominique Fishback is just
0: so powerful, and it, uh, you know, I think it's worth watching for that alone. I know you don't like just ripping people for no reason, (laughs) but is there anything that? you would perhaps not recommend that Maybe high on people's lists, but you may have some reasons they should reconsider their priorities perhaps? <laughs> um, well, I'm going to get myself in trouble probably, but um, I didn't
2: like Silo, which has been quite a big hit, I think, with most people. So essentially it's a story, it's, it's to do with a community who live in a, an underground silo um, and have lived there for about at least 150 years, um, and they can't go on the surface because the surface is toxic and irradiated from some unknown event and they they don't know how long the silo has been there all they know is that there was a sort of rebellion at one stage and all the records got wiped at that point and you were allowed to say that you want to leave the silo but you can't change your mind you you were then you have to go outside and that is that and there are lots of things about the sort of concept of it that I, I really liked. Like the silo is a really cool idea and um, the cast is incredible. Like you've got uh, Rebecca Ferguson, you've got David Oyelowo. Yeah, so there are so many assets to this show, but I found the first episode to be genuinely very bad. And while you get sucked back into it through the mysteries, there are all these mysteries of like who built the silo, you know, what happened in this rebellion, is the outside really toxic or, you know, are they being lied to? But then the answers you get, at the end of the first season seems so hinged on like implausibilities and just like really big leaps of what you would expect human behaviour to be that I found it so frustrating. And so it builds up so much to reward you with so little and I, I really, really didn't like it. All
1: right, what are you looking forward most to come out and why is it Severance? <laughs> season two. Definitely Severance, you're right. It's <laughs> completely Severance.
2: Yeah, w- whenever Severance gets off the ground, I'm hoping... I'm hoping soon. I'm desperate for more severance. Uh, there was a sort of maybe about six month kind of fugue state that I was in February last year where all I would talk about was severance and <laughs> I was alienating people in my life. Frankly, it was not good. But yeah, so ho- we we should hopefully get some more severance in 2024 unless something catastrophic happens. Um, but yeah, it's, it's quite hard to tell when things are going to get released at the moment, obviously, because there are very big unprecedented scale strikes going on and we don't know how that's going to affect the release of new TV shows. But um, hopefully, you know, we will get some some good resolution that helps the talent soon and, um, <laughs> and then we will get some more severance. But yeah, some other shows, kind of in the immediate term, I'm very much looking forward to a show called Lessons in Chemistry, which will be coming out on Apple TV on the 13th of October so that's a show about a woman in the 1950s who's a chemist and she gets fired from her lab and she ends up having to host her own cooking show uh, on television across America. And she sort of ends up using the cooking show to teach housewives about chemistry. Uh, and it's it's a really interesting story and I think it's going to be a really fun watch, uh, which we're kind of lacking in a lot of the moment, there's a lot of depressing TV shows out there, as I have just spent a long time talking about. And it's headed up by Brie Larson, who's going to be playing the main character. So yeah, I think that's going to be really, really promising. I'm looking forward to that. And then further out, there's stuff like The Three Body Problem. So that's coming to Netflix in January 2024, hopefully. And then there are a few other shows. There's a a show called Bodies, which is another Netflix show. Um, That's about the same person being murdered in four different timelines and it's about four different detectives trying to solve the same murder across space and time, <laughs> um, which will be really, really interesting. There's stuff like the the upcoming Taika Waititi adaptation of uh, Time Bandits with Lisa Kudrow. That's going to be really fun, hopefully. There's Dark Matter. That's going to be uh, Joel Edgerton. He's playing a physicist who ends up in a sort of alternate timeline. It's another multiverse show, but um, he sort of has to prevent the alternate version of himself kind of harming his family so I think that's quite a cool way of looking at it um yeah so there were
0: there were loads of shows but it's quite difficult to know when exactly we're going to get them I also want to put a pin in about uh, Loki season two you know the Marvel oeuvre is you know doing whatever it's doing but that's been a show I've been I know it's another multiverse story but Mm -hmm. I've been kind of waiting to see what they do with that next for sure
2: yeah the first the first season of Loki I really enjoyed yeah and um I know they've got Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who were involved in Moon Knight. Uh, and they have also done some really cool like, indie films like Synchronic uh, and Something in the Dirt. Those are two really good films. And they have a kind of a real knack for that kind of trippy visual that you get you saw a lot in um the first season of Loki. So I think that will be a really interesting show. I mean it's been a it's been weighed down a bit by the sort of controversy around one of its stars, which I won't go into, but yeah, the show itself looks really, really interesting and um Marvel is in a bit of a slump, particularly with T V. Secret Invasion came out recently and that hasn't been well received like at all. So Loki could be the show to kind of end that. And yeah, things like Marvel and Disney, um Marvel and Star Wars, they have some some big big shows coming up soon. We've got uh Ahsoka that's coming up um very, very soon, twenty third of August. And yeah, there are there are plenty of Marvel and Star Wars shows in the pipeline. Uh, it will be interesting to see which ones are really genuinely good shows you know and not just a good Marvel show or a good Star Wars show because we have shows like Andor which uh, came out last year which was just stunning Um, and that was a Star Wars show and um, even for non-Star Wars people they found it a really beautiful amazing show to watch so um, it will be interesting to see if any of the Marvel and Star Wars shows can kind of reach that height
0: that Andor has reached so I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes. Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Lab from New Scientist Podcasts. I'm Christy Taylor with Timothy Rebel and Ann Ackerley. You can find the list of everything we talked about today, plus links to Bethan's reviews, in the show notes.
1: If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe to the New Scientist feed for more like it. That's where you'll also find our weekly news podcast and the incredible Dead Planet Society, all dropping there like clockwork. To keep up with Beth's reviews and all of our other journalism, please visit newscientist.com. Bye for now! This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk.